Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Inside the Banjoverse, the podcast that delves deep inside the world of traditional Irish music and the people who make it. In this episode, I am thrilled to have the legendary Cathy Jordan lead singer with the band Darvish as my guest. Cathy's captivating voice and magnetic stage presence has made her a beloved figure of the Irish music scene worldwide. Over many years, she has toured the world with the band Darvish, sharing her songs and her rich musical heritage. In this episode, you'll get a chance to hear from Cathy about her musical journey, what it's like to be part of one of Ireland's most celebrated bands, and the inspirations behind her music and song. So sit back, relax, and step inside the Banjoverse with the great Cathy Jordan. So you've been with Dervish for 30 years. 30 you, years. You must have joined. Over 30 years. You must have only been four or five, Cathy. Six and three quarters. <laughs> 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 I was a very early starter. Yeah. And bloomer. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to believe. You know, I, I, I would never have thought that um, all those years ago I'd still be uh, traveling the world with the same band and the same people, more or less the same people. Um, the time has flown. Um, they got together in in 1989 and I joined in 1991. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm the newbie. Still. They were. Yeah, still the new. Well, Tom Morrow is actually... He's the newbie. He's been there 27 years now. <laughs> <laughs> so take me take me right back. You're from Roscommon. Was it was it a musical upbringing? Are there other musicians in the house in in your forefathers, as they say? Well, it wasn't so much. It, it was musical in so far as everybody sang and singing was a big thing in our house and learning songs and, you know, that's a lovely song and I used to go to neighbours' houses and learn songs from them and my father had a repertoire and 
mother and I was apparently singing before I was talking and there's a recording of me at the age of three singing uh, the Borfinian men and at the same time I did I think um, a bunch of violence and all oh, brothers and sisters there was you know party pieces parties every social gathering was was marked with a sing song so so I I was very determined to get as many um, uh, slots in the, you know, the parsity pieces as possible. So I had more songs, I, I think, learned off than, than most of them. And it's just all, something I love to do. Um, and wherever there was music, that's where I gravitated. For everybody else, I think, in the house, it was a pastime and something you did recreationally. But for me, it was just all I wanted to do. My brother had a, a beat-up old Yamaha guitar. The strings were about an inch from the fretboard, but I learned to play it and joined the folk choir in Scramogue. And, you know, from there, weddings, funerals, whatever, uh, gatherings. And then at school, I was in musicals and choirs and um, just wherever there was music, and it didn't matter what kind, although... The songs I would have grown up with and all folk and traditional songs. But where I where my head went musically, it didn't really matter. Um and I didn't I didn't have any I actually the only formal musical training I had, um uh I was brought to Tulsk or Rakrahan every Tuesday evening and I had banjo lessons. So I was a banjo player for a while. But it was all too heavy for me. It was just Emo- a cumbersome, Emo- heavy lump. Oh, I thought you were going to say emotionally heavy, the banjo. Ah, <laughs> uh, that too. That too. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I never, I, I love playing the guitar. But when I joined Dervish then, you know, my guitar playing wouldn't have been up to speed with really jigs. So I kind of gave it a sabbatical. Uh, and then I, I found a bazooki that was in a guitar or shape. So... That brought me back to the strings, and now I have a small ukulele thing that's like a um, a mini guitar. So I, I I got back eventually, but I didn't, as I said, I didn't get any uh, formal training in the guitar. And by the time somebody said, "What what chord is that you're playing?" Oh, I don't know. It's it's just it makes a sound that I like. And and I was showing a few things from a, a neighbor who came home from London. Colin Casey is his name, and uh, he had a huge record collection, and he was a great guitar player and singer. So he kind of blew my mind musically in terms of you know the music that he had from you know Leonard Cohen to Tom Waits to John Prine to Emmylou Harris and uh, Loudon Wainwright, McGarrity Sisters, all of that uh, American and Canadian folk stuff that that I really loved uh, and and then that got parked when I joined Dervish they weren't looking for that kind of music so I had to it was the first time I had to really think about genres because I didn't really think about genres that much I, it's all music to me so um, yeah so and traditional music oh that's that's not traditional and that's and that is and that you know the rules came in, you know, were, were applied and I didn't have any before that. So then um, 
I went into digging in archives for for material that would be yeah traditional, while so, all the the other stuff was still. So what were the what were the rules for traditional? Well, the songs that were from Ireland, uh, songs that were old, songs that were you know that weren't new folk songs from Canada, or from John Prine, um. So we went back. We went back. Um, I suppose we were emulating um, what Planksty and the Bathy Band did, you know, in the sixties and and seventies, and, and that's what we wanted to do. So we we imposed certain rules on ourselves at the time that we've broken several times along the way, but at the time, and we said the songs from Harmony Hill were all, you know, um old songs that we'd be collected either from old recordings or the archives in Dublin or um, old uh, just collections that um, you know songs I would have heard from neighbours all of that you know so, so it was all a- Irish what age were you when you joined uh, when you joined now you the math, you, oh, you no. the math. I told you <laughs> I was six and three quarters <laughs> so no I'm curious from the point of view of you know, being being the only female in a band and and being on the road and touring, like you know, there's like Dolores talks. Dolores Keane talks about you know how her her parents were really nervous about her heading off on tour with the Dannon because she was only a, a young girl. Um, yeah. So I'm just curious about what that was like for you at that. Actually. You don't have to name the age. You can just talk about what it was like. No, I was young. I was very young, but they were. I was already moved out of home, and I think. My my father thought the whole music. I think both parents thought the whole music thing was a card. You know, in terms of, even though they love music and they, you know, they love being around it, and no get together was complete without it, music. Um, they never really deemed it as something that I could make a career out of, or that anyone could make a career out of. Um, you know, my father said it. When are you going to quit the bollocks? And if you're allowed to course on this program, you can leap that out. You know, it was when are you going to get a real job? And when are you going to? Yeah, you know, you're never going to make anything of yourself doing this. You might be good at it, but you're, you know, you're wasting your time. You'll never make a career out of it. And it wasn't until um, uh, we were on the Late Late Show, which you know everyone in Ireland in the in the nineties was glued to the Late Late Show. And Gay Barn was um, the host at the time, and for for his daughter to be on the late late show was oh, you know, you couldn't bait that at all. So he kind of pulled in his horns that way. Uh, but he he wasn't the sort that would give you any praise much anyway. It was a typical uh, Irish daddy that uh, you know. You don't need, you'd get the telling off if something was wrong, but you wouldn't get praise for doing anything right. So, um, and after he died, though, I found all the clippings and cuttings that he had made from various things. So, it stuffed under the mattress, you know. So, that was, um, that was a, a very poignant moment. But, I mean, it was him gave me the music to, you know, but yet he thought it was a waste of my time. So, that was the, the irony of it all. Was there, you see, I know nothing about singing, right? And 
I, I mean, I was, you know, in a band for an awful lot of years. I didn't even know what half the songs were about that we were singing. I, I never listened to lyrics. Right. Uh, well, some see, somewhere like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I went to see Donovan the other night and I realized that, like, I know all the songs, but I'd never really heard the lyrics before. And I'd listened yeah. to them thousands of times. So I'm I'm like that. So I don't really understand the the heritage behind songs. And so can you tell, can you talk a little bit about how important that was? You know, is, is there a Roscommon context to it? Is it localized the way the tunes sometimes are? Or how did that all work out? Um, well, uh, in the beginning, um, it, it wasn't, I didn't have any kind of local, um, apart from Percy French, I didn't know an awful lot of local songs. Um, I would have grown up with them, but a lot of the songs my mother and father sang were from all over the country and uh, everything from rebel songs to you know, um, comic songs and, you know, and Percy French songs and, and all of that. Um, so they weren't localized, as I said. I mean, it's it's only now in the last uh, four years, maybe I'm zooming in because of this cranky project that I'm doing. I'm finding a song from every county. And some counties have huge amounts of sounds and other counties have very few or very few that's known you have to go digging for instance Galway would have many many sounds um, Cork, Kerry Fermanagh, Tyrone uh, Derry has lots Wexford because of all the history and all the battles and whatever that took place there Cork has loads Roscommon have a good few you know the the Boonawan, the the big story of the unrequited love of song um, between um, like Jermada and and his his betrothed and he wasn't good enough so he was banished by the father and she died of a broken heart and then he died of a broken heart and the two trees grew over their heads and fell down to create what's known as the Schneim or the, the lover's knot and that appears in so many songs like Barbara Allen that it's traveled the world. And the journey of songs is 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 really, really fascinating, you know, when uh, they they take on uh, so many migrating, I suppose, between the Spalpeens and, and all the workers that went from Scotland and England back and forth. They brought songs with them and those songs had, had adapted and got... Uh, altered by the places that were in the place names might have been changed the air might have been changed the people might have been changed but the story the essence of the story stayed the same and you would have songs like um like uh, the irish song the called the tricolored house which is a child ballad and child francis child collected 305 Macabre and wonderful songs and all of them have versions and that's child ballad number two and there's gazillions of versions all over the world they turn up everywhere and but our one is called the tricolored house uh the one you might be more familiar with is um is scarborough fair the simon and garfunkel made famous and they got it from the singing of martin carty and Martin Carty knows about 200 versions of it and, you know, and on it goes. And they keep discovering all these 
um, all these songs. And that song, Own Along, that I was talking about, that essence of the story is in another child violent poet, um, Barbara Allen. Um, so that unrequited love and those stories. And they have, like, I, I just love them because they're, they're like little snapshots of our history and our, you know, it's, they're like little anthologies in themselves and they, they're telling us what, what people wore, how they thought, um, the, this, the politics of the area, the, you know, what people believed in, what they didn't believe in, women didn't fare too well, you know, the religion, all sorts of, 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 um, much more than the tunes in a way carry. I mean, the tunes are beautiful and, and they evoke so much, but they're, they're not telling these little stories that, that make up our history and, you know, a, a huge, huge part to play in how we view ourselves down through the years. And whether you agree or you disagree with the sentiment, um, they are, um, you know, the historical documents that, that are like windows into, into all the struggles and so forth of, of our, our people gone by. Mm. So new songs must have new themes then, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are still songs, uh, great songs been written uh, that will in time, uh, hopefully, fall into the tradition and be carried on um, as a as folk songs or traditional songs uh, of the future. I mean, yeah, I mean, to have a song written in the first place, there's a good story and there's something to be told. There's a story to be told. So those stories are still being told and hopefully... And um, lots of more will be written in the particular um, genre that sounds like they've been around. You know yourself in tunes. The the nicest compliment to a tune you wrote is to you're played in in a session, and for people to think it's been around for for generations. I I, I do love that about um about writing sounds or or tunes that um I write them open that they'll fall into the river that heads on and gets um gets excavated and gets looked at in, in generations to come. So have you written lots of songs? Not lots, but I've written quite a few. Maybe twenty five or something like that. that that's um, lots. I, I, that's lots. I mean some of them haven't seen the full light of day yet. Um but you know, it's it's something I'm always working on and I'd be very particular about them and I scrap some of them and then come back to them and, you know, have a look at them again, what was good about them and they, they take time and they um they take a lot of wheezing, you know, to get that I don't need that, I don't need that. What is it about? Is the story been told? Um but but like for instance, during lockdown, I wrote a song about a subject that there didn't seem to be any songs about, which was the the wrens of the Cora. I'm not sure if you're familiar with no. the wrens of the Cora. So these were women, um, women from mostly Dublin, the Pale kind of area. They were 
disenfranchised after the famine. They were poor. They were, it was death by starvation or go to the workhouse, which was another um, way to die. So they took to the roads and followed the soldiers down to the Cora, which is our one of our richest um, racing land now where all the, the rich race horses live and um, are bred and livestock and all of that. But um, these women, they knew they'd get fed or they'd get the scraps and some were in prostitution. Um, they knew that been beside the soldiers of the Cora that they wouldn't die. But they were treat- treated very badly. They they lived in the ditches and then they dug out uh, nests for themselves that were only big enough for their bodies and that's where they lived. And then if they got pregnant and had children, children lived in those nests as well. And um, they were ostracized by the church and people used to drive out from Dublin and strip them and beat them and spit on them and um and yeah it's a it's a shady um underbelly of 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 the history of the Cora and you know what, what uh, so uh, I've, what year is that? Just after the famine or well, eighteen eighteen fifties. So yeah and uh they deserved, as I said, you know, a lot of the traditional songs, women don't fare out fare very well, and there's lots of um, ballads where, the, you know, there's, there isn't a lot of respect, or the women aren't the victors, you know. The men are always, seem to be always the victors, and you could count on one hand your fingers missing where the, the women have, have to say and, and you know that they win their particular battle so there's a very few of them so when I can I'd like I like to you know address the, the that imbalance oh, so do you think most songwriters were men I mean I'm going back over the let's say hundreds of years when a lot of old songs came from well probably I mean given it's it's not absolute, but uh, probably because they they had more time. And I mean, if I I know myself that um, in certain areas, you know, when match made marriages were made, the women had to you know give up any notions of playing instruments or dancing, or um, they were just slaves to to the the house they, they married into and they worked and worked and worked. My own mother worked and worked and worked and worked. And there was no time uh, until much later there was very little time for recreation because there was big families and you had to till the fields and feed the cattle and you know there was it was work, 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 work. So socialising was, was rare and you know to, to have the the time and the money and the resources to be writing songs that was for where you had to be uh, an elite of some sort to have that time you know you had to have more money than most and and men would have had probably more time and more money so I would say yeah 
you feel not that? to say there are, there weren't some written by women, but but not as many, I'd say. Yeah. Do you feel kind of called as an activist in any fashion? You know, kind of being the singer in a band and having you know international renown and national renown is that something that that comes along naturally and are you comfortable with it or passionate about it? I, I, I am, but I would like the sounds to do their own telling. I mean, as I said, they are historically documents and I think without browbeaten or, or anything like that, there's, there's messages in there that, um, that the window is there for people to see through and make up their own minds on certain things without, um, without having to, you know, put your own opinions on it. So, if you know what I mean, you, you don't have to be, um, you know, as though with a placard, with a placard or whatever, um. I think by by singing some of these songs and by playing some of the music and um, by sharing these little vignettes and you know offering people a a, a crack to to look through, they can make up their own minds. I think sometimes you know, when you browbeat somebody, the opposite effect, the opposite, the effect you want is what's what happens. Um, um, you know, and the, the people you want to maybe convert, you know, aren't persuaded by, they're persuaded more by persuasion than browbeaten, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like getting coaxed rather than. I have a 13 year old son. I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Achieve nothing Meg, by browbeaten. Meg, is there him? It's a him. Son. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, make him think it was his idea. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Take me back to the early days with Dervish. I mean, it must have been incredibly exciting. Like you're a, a national standard now. You're one of the absolute, I don't want to say legacy as in old, but like you're you're one of the huge bands that are thought of in terms of the Chieftains, Alton, Dervish, well, we, Chardon we Shannon. We just stuck you know. it out. We just stuck it out. <laughs> but it's not that you know, easy to, to stick it out unless you have a modicum of success. But what was it like at the start? Um, It was great. I mean, sure, God, everything was new and, you know, the adventures and the tours and the different countries. And I mean, in a way, we took it far more for granted then than we do now. Because um, then you think, oh, this is going to be life now, drinking, you know, Chianti and you know, overlooking some plaza in Spain or Italy or France and, you know, been brought to the, you know, uh, churches and vaults and playing at the Wall of China and playing, um, you know, Athens, you know, just amazing experiences that you totally took for granted that, you know, didn't... It was a time where there was work, 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 and then there wasn't as much work. And it's it's kind of the same now for bands starting off because everyone starts and they nearly play for nothing, and um, and then you realise you can't be playing for nothing anymore. We're not actually making any money here, so we have to up the fee 
But then the new bands get those gigs because they're playing for nothing. And you're demanding more fee and it doesn't always, you know. So like this, there was um, ups and downs on it all. And you have to kind of, um, you have to learn to say no to, even though that's, it's enough to go there, but you're going to come home with no money. So you can't be doing that because people are families to air now. And uh, we have to be more serious about what we do. But it, it was actually a good thing in many ways because I think doing too much work as a band burns you out. And if you're away too much from family and friends and normal life, I think um, burnout is is inevitable. Um, so the fact that we put a, a limit to the amount of time we're away at any one time, which was like no more than three weekends, like so three weeks and and I think that you know if a fanny almost to ask what's the secret you know apart from being you know too lazy to break up and I think that's one of the main ones because you know you never got to like this like been with a family for too long at Christmas you know you drive yourself drive each other mad after a while so you, you can't allow that to happen so you, you have to you know no matter how good the work might be just learn to say no because um, it's in the long run not going to be good for the your own system and your own head and everyone else's yeah you must have had some amazing experiences I mean I had forgotten about the Great Wall of China how did that come about well we went to China and um, we we were um, it was a, an expat kind of a thing so we were playing for um Irish people, Irish and English people that were out in China. And um, so we played um, in Hong Kong and did a load of different venues out there for the expats. And we went to Kuala Lumpur as well on the same trip. Um, and if I remember rightly, I crashed up with a motorbike and came home in a wheelchair. Um, <laughs> but before I came home, we, we all went and a busload of of expats and ourselves all went out to the Great Wall and we, we played tunes on it. It was just amazing, like an extraordinary experience and I never um, take for granted anymore that where the music that, you know, your father or your mother was singing or playing or loved was taking you to all these exotic places, you know, and they would never have believed you know, that you'd be there or the Rock and Rio Festival, you know. Um, that was just extraordinary. Um, just, you know, you know yourself where it brings you, like, and you just pinch yourself going, wow, this beats the hell out of, you know, packing shelves in a shop, working in a council or having a an office job. I mean, there's some, there's well boring bits, you know, there's a lot of, no time, you know, like you're just traveling from A to B and you have to, you have to amuse yourself for seven, eight hours a day sometimes to go from one, because a lot of mundaneness about it. Um, but then you get to the good stuff and, you know, the fest, wonderful festivals, whether it's Edmonton Folk Festival or whether it's, um, 
Laurie and Cambridge or Glastonbury or you know, and, and that's that's when you know the the mon there's a word mundanity mundanity um where that uh, disappears and it's like oh now I now I remember why I do it. But for your hour and a half of glory, you know, on, on a, a gig at night or you're, and you're giving something to people and they're going away happy, there's a lot of nothingness during the day of, you know, just traveling and, you know, sitting. I mean, you might notice me moving a lot here now because I've done my back again. Um, and your body is it. A delicate piece of machinery when I mean, you're putting it um through long journeys all the time, planes, trains, buses, you know, vans, all of that. And it can take its toll physically on you. So um yeah, you have to mind all those bits as well and it can be very um it can be very um you think to yourself, oh, God, is this worth, is all this travel worth, you know, the pain I feel right now? Um, but you get over that too and on you go. <laughs> did you ever fall out of love with it? Um, I did. I did. I did maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, and then I felt, then I, because I was complacent, I was, I was spoiled, I suppose, thinking this, you know, um, this is nor, you know, this is normal and this is the way it should be, you know, and find yourself. Where's I ask for sparkling water, and this is this is um, still water in the dressing room, you know, and you have to catch yourself on, like, um, gosh, I. To be doing this and to be in a new town and meet new people and uh, getting around around them applause for doing your work. I mean, we're the lucky ones, you know. Like there's people doing really, just you know, people in the hospital and people that you know look after people every day, and that's what they do. They don't get around for applause for it, and you play a few tunes and sing a few songs, and you know, you know, you get a standing ovation. Thanks very much. You know, that's not to be taken for granted and I, I don't anymore. I mean, or I try not to at least. You know, you can slip into your own ways but, um, on days when you have a pain in your back. But um, but no, it's it's a very privileged existence and, you know, to, to play that music that was handed down. I feel very privileged to be part of that huge big river and tributaries or, or or a tree with roots and branches you know and all the connections that you make and all the people you, you get touched by and that you know you touch their lives and put a smile on their faces and and you know people you don't even know because you're a part of this big you know river you're kind of part of this family that Look out for you and look after you and send you messages on your birthday and um send you cards through the post and you know they're just there for you somehow. Um I I, I think it's it's a great thing. 
you know, there's so many friends of mine that are, that do great jobs and don't get near as much thanks as we get for doing something we love. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What was, um, what was your vision like? Um, it was, uh, extraordinary, bonkers, crazy, terrifying, uh, hysterical, uh, um, unbelievable, all wrapped into one big weekend. I mean, I was, it, it was terrifying from a singer's point of view because I, you have to sing live. So, um, when you have to sing live, you know, the first thing, you know, because your voice is your emotional center. And if you're nervous, that's what goes. So, you know, you're there all week, like a walk of vocal cords. So everything you say and so it's a- absolutely terrifying. You think oh, I'm have to have to do this walk out on stage to all these people. So, and it was very out of one's comfort zone and all of that. But I mean, the people we met, the experience that we had, the the laughs, um, that we look back on, we laugh hysterically at some of the things that happened. That one day I write the book, um, <laughs> just just on the whole experience, um. And then, of course, you know, you come home with the tape in between your legs. It didn't work out the way you, you wanted. Um, and you think your whole your world is over. And a week later, heading to Latvia and Lithuania with President Mary McAleese. And on you go, like it never happened, you know. And it's huge, one minute. And then it's just, you know, next, you know, for people in their lives as well. You know, you, like it was... Um, I remember going down to the shop and everybody knew good luck then, you know, all of this and people sending you cards and flowers and those banners up and, you know, it was a big deal. And I didn't, I really didn't like that, um, the, that side of the fame of it where everybody recognised you and uh, the best story of it all there was, I was in a taxi in Dublin and the taxi driver said, you're that singer, aren't you? You're that singer, aren't you? And I said, yeah. You're that singer, you're, you're doing the Eurovision, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he says, you are the second most famous fair I have had in this taxi. Oh yeah. And who's the first most famous fair? I mean, that's the question you're going to ask. He said, Lionel Richie's birthday cake. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! I've made it. <laughs> oh, that's that's a Dublin taxi driver. If there was uh, one. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also to those kind of stories that just you know you wouldn't believe it. But um, but yeah, I mean, I I have no regrets. Absolutely no regrets doing it. Uh, I think. We would have regretted it far more if we hadn't done it. Been given the opportunity, you know. That do you want to do you want to represent your country in front of you know a hundred million people? And you, you, years later, you'd be saying, "How come we didn't do that?" Like, and you're you're going you're not doing any competition beforehand. You're not you're going straight to the Eurovision stage. Okay, and 
but yeah, it was absolutely terrifying um, uh, before it and yeah, coming home wasn't nice. But then a week, a week later and it's like, yeah, off you go. Yeah. You said something a minute ago about your voice being your emotional center. Yes. Talk to me a little bit more about that. That sounds very interesting. Well, you know, it's it's one of your chakras, and um, when one is emotional, you know, your voice quivers, your you you um you tighten up, you restrict, um, your you know, if you're nervous, your voice is the thing that gives you away. If you're emotional, that's what gives you away. If if you know, you're in any way kind of uh, upset that that's the first thing to go. So um, it's very hard. I mean, if you were singing with your hand, for instance, <laughs> you know, your hand can do the job without getting any emotional, but your voice can't. And that's why um, some singers, you know, if you hear their voice, they can touch you emotionally because it's, it's possible and it's same with any instrument you can find that sweet spot and you can you can put a a cry in it and when you put a cry in it where your voice is open and you put a kind of a that's when people will it's like a little puppy dog or a, a cat meow and um people um relate respond to that on an emotional level as well so if you have emotion in your voice, um, now to a to a degree, there's a point after which it's gone. You, it's there's too much, and your voice will break. But really, good singers that you know, and the ones that make fortunes, um, I listen to them, and they have that. They can do that cry, and that's that's what's that's the you know, that's what's people are responding to and and if you get other people to cry you you know your emotion has connected with their emotion through the voice so you're just trying to make people cry that's all <laughs> laugh or cry oh you just want an rem- emotion in response of some sort you can make them angry too I suppose um, but uh, yeah you know in the cry of the pipes you know that are the um or the flute, or, you know, you do it on the banjo as well. You know. Never made anyone cry on the banjo. Come on. I yeah, did. <laughs> but I'm going to try now. I'll take it out later on. I'm going to, I well, need I to find this cry. It's, it's, it's probably more difficult because of the nature of, of the beast. But it's that whine is the cry in, in, in an instrument. It's the whine um, that, that people, you know, get that feeling. I mean, it has the ability to make people dance, and you know what they say about Irish music that um, that the three elements, uh, gold tree, gantry, and soon tree, um, should be present in it uh, and is present in it. So, gold tree, gantry is so uh, exciting; uh, it makes you want to dance, and you know you respond to it in a kind of in your body, and. Um, tree, uh means so it's so soothing it makes you want to sleep and uh, Gultry 
and it's so emotional it makes you want to cry so all those elements um you know they're present in all our gigs you know from from the tunes or the songs um some gigs might have more gantry and and then soon three or gold three but 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 when all those things are present i i think for instance that's why so many people respond all over the world to irish music because it brings you on a kind of an emotional roller coaster um it can have you crying it can have you laugh and it can have you dancing um and this is a music an ancient music handed down that can some people have never heard before and just respond to something happens within them and I think they're just their senses are connecting with their with those um sen- sensory things and within the music. That's, That's brilliant. my criteria I hadn't heard That's that before. Thing. I love that. No. Yeah. And I'm thinking now when you write a book about uh staying in a band for thirty years, you should call it uh Gultree Gantry, Gantry. Three, so, and then at the bottom in brackets it should say and we were too lazy to break up <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not. oh I do them a disservice by we're too lazy to break up I mean there is there's more than that keeping us together there's the, I know that there's you yeah. there is a certain they're, uh, they're a, great, a great bunch of people because you know I've had uh, the pleasure touring with you yeah. a few times yeah yeah we were in Japan together we yeah were. Yeah, yeah, we were ourselves and Alison were born in the midnight oil. Well, he was out running and doing, you know. We definitely were thinking was, definitely that, wasn't running, uh, eating sushi maybe, but no. sushi, yeah, bento boxes, and yeah, we were lorrying into Point Sasaki. <laughs> <laughs> What's the uh, cranky yeah. project you mentioned it a couple of times? Oh, so, so I'm um. It started in lockdown. I did the songs of Raskaman. I did uh, dug out a few songs from Raskaman and I married them with um, a cranky box. Uh, so a cranky box is uh, a vintage storytelling device. It can be any size from matchbox size up to, you know, the size of this box here. And uh, the story uh, is is on a scroll and is wound like this and what it story passes around falls in front of you from one spool to another and i i've i've seen them in america and i thought oh i'd love to do that in, uh, with some irish folk songs so it kind of started um with Raskaman and i got uh, thanks to Raskaman county council and uh, Creative Ireland. I got funding to get uh, five songs from our scamman done. On Peter Cran did the illustrations, and um, you can see them on Cranky Island Sound Project. And um, then I, when the lockdown continued and continued, I applied to the Arts Council to roll it out uh, and do a sound from every county in Ireland. And get a different illustrator from every county to illustrate the song. So, so in the end, it will be a map of Ar- an interactive map of Ireland, and you can scroll through each county and and there's song information, the story of the song, the history of the song, 
you record and the song and the song illustrated and something that people can add to um, down, you know, down the generations if they want it, they can add to their county and stock of songs if, if they would like. Um, and songs, you know, that deal with um, things like immigration, eviction, uh, the troubles, unrequited love, love, drinking, comic songs, battle and recruitment, and all the different types of songs that we have. And they're all little snapshots from different eras and famine. Uh, yeah, so it's been a, it's been a, it's still going on. I mean, I'm not, I'm not done yet. I have ten more songs to record, and and then the the illustrators, some of the illustrators have the songs. As soon as I get it, the song recorded, it goes to the illustrator, and I hope to have it all completed maybe September, hopefully. But um. I was supposed to be at it all this week, but my my back told me I couldn't leave the house. So, so that's uh, one of the. I I I I don't know about you, but lockdown. Uh, I I hit the ground running with it. I think I got so scared of oh, what's happening? Um, I kept really busy, and so I recorded forty five albums and um. And started up this thirty-two county project as well. On top of that, so then before I knew it, I had a minute and um, but getting there slowly but surely. Uh, it's better to be busy than not. Mm, that sounds like a fabulous project. It's lonely because uh, I went down to Waterford to Benny McCarthy's, and I worked with. Um, some musicians down there, Donald Clancy and um, Keevan O'Farrell and, and Benny and did Song from Waterford and Cardo and uh, and what else did we do? Kilkenny and uh, four or five songs down there and I was I did some of Sligo, did Longford and Louth and Leash and Bean and West Bean and I went up to Sean O'Graham and doing um, Antrim and Armagh down Derry and then I was down in Kenny Ralphs and Galway and Morton O'Connor and we did Galway and sorry did Floorway and um, and Mayo and, and so forth so little by little I do them in blocks and I I find the songs first and then arrange them and then you know send them on to musicians and then go down and meet musicians and just trash them out then um, uh, in the studios so it's a lovely for me to meet all the different musicians and work all the different musicians and um, just yeah it's, it's fun and it's it's uh, it feels very worthwhile and I because um, when you get to a certain age too you have to think of what am I going to leave behind you know what do you all of this, all what would it all have been for? And you know, you get um, get kind of nostalgic. And I, I thought to myself, well, if I can do that much, you know, and pay homage to the whole country in that way uh, through the songs and leave something that others will add to, then 
happy days. We can retire. Lovely. Not that I never retire. No, no. Uh, no. Kind of maybe maybe last question. If is there a is there a gig or a collaboration or a venue that you'd dream about playing that you'd you'd love to have a crack at? Um. Well, I, I haven't played in Carnegie Hall. I think I'd like. Um, I'd like uh, the. You definitely get sparkling water there, anyway. You think? Have you played it? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I'd like Carnegie Hall. It's just the history of it, and um, I, I, I played the. I trusted with Dervish now, and I, um, it was on a different project entirely. I'd like to play it with Dervish, but um, the Ryman. And it's just the, the that feeling you get having walked the onto the stage that so many of the people that you admire and respect and you know and you know so many of your heroes have played on that was a, a lovely feeling and and I'm sure that the same would apply uh, in Carnegie Hall but we're not done yet you know we have um, we. Uh, have another song book in the pi- pipeline and they're just lovely albums to make as well because um, because of collaborations and you know um, it's just amazing how many people want to sing Irish songs when you put the when you cast your nets um, it's so many people really love Irish music and really love certain Irish songs and whatever and and so respect them and and it's 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 a the well that keeps on giving and it, there's no bottom to it. Um, it's just there's always something new to discover. You could spend your lifetime excavating, and you still wouldn't have gotten to the bottom of those plants. And it, it's just you know, it's a beautiful thing, and people are discovering it anew all the time. I just saw an interview the other night of with Bozier on. on uh, on the Late Late Show, I happened to be watching it, and um, and he's only recently discovered the low whistle, and he just loves the sound of it. And because of that, he's kind of delving into all these tunes and and sounds, and that's what it does. It kind of it 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 coaxes and cajoles, and and you know, you know, magnetizes him into it, and it's it's um. And you can move away from it for a while, but it always kind of draws you back. There's something in it, and it's it's like it's like the same stuff that's is running in my veins. I I find that I just you can't I can't deny it. It's uh, it's um it's just in the DNA or something. It's all oh. part of the same thing. Yeah, yeah, Kathy, thank you so much. And you know, I not to make you sound old, but like. I remember getting Harmony Hill and listening to that album over and over. And it was like, it was central to my musical development as a kid. Not a kid, but like a, you know, a teenager. And then yeah. to get to get Listen to Listen to me when I was much younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like Dervish was such a huge, huge part of informing oh, me as a musician. Sandra. And then to get to meet you and, and tour a little bit with you and to find that you're just like regular nice people always means a lot you know when you kind of meet your musical heroes and their sound it's a good well thing. it's it's a lot coming from you Enda, and you know everything you do musically i mean i'm a huge admirer of and i loved 
we plant your tree and love the energy and power and meet in Tormuchi and it, it, it is another beautiful thing about Irish music is that you get to play with you know your friends and your heroes are the same people and um, you know with you, you don't get that in, in, in other musics that you sit, you sit down and play some music with you know um, for me like it should be Peter Horn or or Dolores Kane or you know Maya Brennan or Mary Glack or whoever it's just amazing that you can you can do that and everybody is so accessible to each other and it's full of really nice people that you know that I, I think I think the music is a very leveling thing and it makes everybody kind of um, have a a sense of gratitude and a sense of belonging that they want to pass on. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll let you get back to it. Thank you so much for taking time to chat to me. You're welcome. Really and, uh, enjoyed you're welcome. it. And I'm going to have to help to take me painkillers. I bet I don't play the banjo. I never would have been able to hold it up. <laughs> You'll have to get the chakras unblocked, I think. That's the. Honest to God. Yeah, I know you're talking. <laughs> All, All right, then, right, it's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.